When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It was one of those moments on which you know you're living an unforgettable day. It was breathless. If you manage to light the fire, you get an amazing experience, said Eric Ten Hag. This club is a monster, and it felt like it on Saturday lunchtime. Manchester United 2, Manchester City 1. After going behind, the Reds scored 2 in 4 minutes. Bruno Fernandes controversially first, and then Marcus Rashford, who spent his early years just down the road from me here in Withington, Manchester. And like Rashford, to spin the song on its head, Manchester is red today. Does it get any better than this? Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. As always, let's revel in it all. and the, the kind of contrasting performances in the first half and second half from United and City. You'll have your regular youth load of women's roundup in the middle of the show and then we'll answer your questions in our patron-only Q&A. If you want to hear that and have info on how to sign up to become a patron, go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. And then finally, we'll be back for all listeners by previewing Wednesday's match against Crystal Palace. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Like, I mean, it was, I don't think I've celebrated a goal like that in years of watching Man United. It it felt like Mm. the culmination of a whole season that has been, you know, kind of drawing up to this moment with kind of restoring this connection between the fans and the players, becoming excited at what we're seeing on the pitch, a really likeable bunch of players who very clearly are fighting for the badge every time they go out on the pitch and, and mixing that with some good quality at times as well. And it felt like this was sort of, it, it could be anyway, a, a defining moment, I think, for this team. 
symbolically having been destroyed by Man City earlier in the season to, to be able to come back and win it, it felt like a just a huge moment for this team as, as we progress and yeah, when, when Rashford's goal came in, I, I think we, we were all sort of like Eric Ten Hag on the sidelines, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, it was the most ridiculous kind of a whole range of emotions. And I, I felt the atmosphere felt good at the start. It built and built and built from everyone seeing the good first half performance where United looked in control of the game and should have gone in ahead, I think. There were a couple of chances more kind of half chances for for Rashford and City didn't seem to be offering anything at all no shots on target and that kind of that was a continuation from the kind of mild confidence we had going into the game maybe we were a little bit confident going into the derby back in March 2020 when Scott McTominay scored in that 2-0 win but that's almost three years ago and I don't think I've gone into a derby feeling at all confident since then in three years but you felt it might be possible on Saturday and that first half just just did it and then we were kind of all justifying to ourselves at 0-0 at half time and then after City went one ahead we were all kind of thinking I think try, trying to make things better in our own minds saying well actually all we wanted out of this game was to compete and to show that we can we can play a game kind of on our own terms even if it's a draw or a narrow defeat but then these players managed to turn the tide and I've I've not seen Old Trafford like that in, in person ever I don't think I think that's the best atmosphere and the best celebrations I've I've experienced but even on TV I don't think I don't think that it's been like that for a long long time I spoke to uh, someone I go to the games with who's been going longer than me every week in week out had a season ticket for a long long time and he said that was the the best celebration and the best moment and the best atmosphere since Makeda's goal against Aston Villa in wow. 2009. And I, that was exactly my reaction, yeah. But, <laughs> you, you know, I, I believe what it What was it like before the game as, as well, Harry? Like, obviously, we, we all could sort of see the scenes when Rashford scored and the celebrations after the game. What was the atmosphere and sort of the feeling around the ground before the game? Because this felt, from afar it felt different coming into the game did that kind of come across inside Old Trafford as well yeah I think so there was a I think the, the atmosphere has been pretty good all season and that's I think we spoke about this pretty early on on the Ten Hag a few games in after those games against Liverpool and Arsenal that you need those mo- what really kind of defines a fan's relationship with the team and a manager is is those it's not necessarily kind of just wins and, and results but it's those it's those actual like unforgettable moments and we had that against Liverpool and Arsenal yeah. and the atmosphere has been good and I th- that's not just a result of the team playing well it is partly that but that's also a result of quite a few changes at Old Trafford that have been campaigned for over the last few years primarily by the Red Army but also by the Supporters Trust um, which involves uh, the, on a biggest level uh, rail seating in J stand which is in the far corner the opposite corner to the tunnel it involves a two or three thousand strong section called the Red Army uh, in which people can stand next to their mates and and filming's not allowed and everyone's encouraged to sing for the 90 minutes and, and like-minded people who want to do that are sat together but it's, it's little things as well like uh, no music being played in the 15 to 20 minutes before kickoff no music being played at full time so that you, you can allow that atmosphere to organically grow and everyone around the ground can hear each other instead of 
massive blaring music that no one's interested in hearing kind of overtaking things even if it's something like Glory Glory Man United which the the club used to play at full time that gets in the way of things like um, the opposite end to the ground to me at, at J stand and at East stand um, Rafa Varane at the final whistle was just kind of orchestrating the crowd in front of him And music would have stopped that. But so, so the point is the atmosphere has been good. On Saturday, it felt, you thought, yeah, maybe this is possible. And it was good. And it built throughout the game as people continue to have that confidence in the team. Um, and yeah, it, it was great, but it was nothing like what then happened in the second half. <laughs> I've, it was a bit, lots of people, lots of people, listeners will have been there. Other people would have been watching on TV and seen it. Other, and I'd expect most people have seen the clip that's gone on social media. Take it United now have someone filming like the, the big moments pitch side just on their phone. And it is, uh, lots of clubs do it. And it, it's brilliant because it, it, get, it gives you just something else. And the clip of Rashford's goal, uh, from pitch side is just, just phenomenal the, the emotions it evokes is is amazing when Rashford turns after all the celebrations Casemiro's gone diving into the Stretford end and Fred's gone in and then the players are going mental and around the noise is insane but then Rashford after, when everyone else is walking back turns to the Stretford end and just gives this guttural roar and gets one back in response it was just it, it, the celebrations for that second goal just seemed to go on for minutes and he then just needed a breather after it was like a full workout and then to, to have a breather. you got Casemiro like it, hugging people in the corner yeah, of the ground. Yeah. And I, it, it, it's so good. I love it. And it was, I took a moment because uh, United were two on up. The sun had just come out on kind of a, a very typical Manchester day. It was pretty dark clouds, but the sun just came through and you had these dark clouds over Eastern. The sun just kind of on part of the stadium. And I looked around, United winning 2-1 in the derby, and I needed a breather. I mean, my head was just splitting with kind of all the noise that had come out of it, um, lacking oxygen. And I looked around and just saw 70,000 people just with just bodies everywhere and, and limbs, just limbs moving and, and just this whole sea of movement where you just thought, this is, uh, this is absolute heaven. I'm, I'm, I've reached euphoria. <laughs> there, is, there is something quite, like, viscerally just so pleasing about seeing, whether it's actually at United or anywhere else, just that many people yeah. in unison celebrating to that extent. And it's especially, obviously, when it comes off the back of a of a great moment for United, it feels just so different to, to any other emotion you can kind of ever feel. And actually, as much as I, I, I'm not a huge fan of sort of interviews happening at times when you feel like they shouldn't, including the immediate, uh, immediately after the game on the pitch. BT Sport doing their interview on the pitch with <laughs> Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford. It did at least mean that they got their moment. The two of them had probably been United's, well, two of United's best players on the day and so obviously the two goal scorers. Getting that moment of the two of them alone in front yeah. of the Stretford end as they walked off down the tunnel was... Was, was quite it was quite something to watch that happen and yeah, Fernandes pushing that. Rashford almost acknowledging you know this is your team I love this is your I moment. mean we spoke last week about how much we love Marcus Rashford and all of that remains the same and I, I think I think we we actually said if Rashford scores in the derby I can't have, like, we can't imagine loving him anymore but imagine that happens and that that's what did happen and this is what I mean just euphoria but my point is Bruno Fernandes 
that that's the kind of this was a game where he's just he's he's perfect for the club and and it's worth remi- remembering that he was the one that dragged United to good things under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and he's having a really good season and it's not translating that much in goals and assists anymore but that's kind of the opposite of what he was doing last year when he was getting a lot of goals and assists but his performances were not quite as clean and, and smooth and efficient it's the opposite now and it's it's his character which is just so brilliant anyone else scores that goal I think it gets ruled out and we'll come on to the decision itself but the his intensity in everything he does but also then after the game to push Rashford forward hold back and go go, go to the United fans who are still there he was your hero just enjoy him and appreciate him I, I loved it I thought it was brilliant from him for, for lack of a sort of more sophisticated way of putting this Bruno Fernandes is just one of those people. He, he just yeah. gets it, you know. In any, in any kind of moment, he he seems to just have a such a great understanding of what is required, whether that's on or off the pitch. He always speaks very well after the game, and he always manages to, I think, make point make a point that is is needed without sort of coming across as as though he's trying to make any any kind of dig at anyone in particular. Especially when they're at the club, it never yeah. comes across to try and sort of make create any drama, but also is very clear in trying to drive up standards and always uphold what he feels is is required at, at Man United. And I think not only did his performance speak to that, but also his comments after the game about finally performing as a team, like you said, putting Rashford almost on a bit of a pedestal there at the end. He just, he just gets it all the time. Yeah. And I think that is, especially when you're in a, you know, in a period where United have struggled so much over the last few years, it is a character like that, sort of like Eric Cantona back in the early nineties. Not that United yeah. struggling at that point, but it is it's, it is those kind of characters that you need to really change the way that a club views itself and is viewed by others. That is a beautiful, beautiful segue into talking about two other players, and this is the key thing you mentioned: Casemiro going into the crowd. I mentioned Varane kind of orchestrating the celebrations at full time, and that connection between the fans and the players that began in with the Liverpool win back in August, it, I think, stems massively from those two players, Varane and Casemiro, both from Real Madrid, two summers in succession. And I think pay full credit, well, we can talk about Casemiro in a second, but pay full credit to Varane because the energy and intensity he brings, I just don't think can be underestimated, let alone the quality yeah. of his defensive work. But it, the, it's, it's an intensity with control as well, which yeah. is so key at, at centre-back. But he he was he is the first player I think Bruno is separate, but in term, in defence I think crucially he was the one to come in and provide that intensity and and the celebrations and and others have followed obviously Sandro Martinez Diogo Dallo and then Casemiro even just one of those players changes the team two or three have made United a, a completely different side a different beast and Varane and Casemiro both especially those two both feel like captains without the armband and Bruno is also great and uh, I mean to have th- to have three kind of standout obvious captain material United players I mean h- how things change yeah it's been a, a character and a, and a profile to be fair in all three of them actually also a profile on the pitch but especially off the pitch that we have been just des- absolutely desperate yeah. for, for for years and years it feels with those three, and, and I think, like you said, you can throw Lissandro Martinez in there as well when he plays. Yeah. It, 
you can have confidence at least that United aren't going to lose a game because of naivety or or fragility, I think is the way you'd sort of put mm. it. You know, there, there's always going to be questions about the team's quality and, and you know, there's a, Casemiro in, in particular has, you know, moments where you think, oh, I'm you know, not, not sure what's, what's going through your head there. But you, you do feel like mentally and the, the approach to the game is going to be right when those three are in the lineup because they, they do have a, such a knack for just making sure that the standards are right. And, and I said it, Bruno Fernandes has been part of that for a few years, but it's hard when, A, when you're the only one kind of doing that and also when he maybe didn't have such a public leadership role off the pitch. He was very clearly the talisman for this team on the pitch, but with not being captain all the time and also with Ronaldo being there, he was off off the pitch. Maybe that publicly facing leadership role wasn't quite as clear as it is now. And I think they are all players that absolutely thrive in that role and are all have all been massively important to United becoming just a much stronger and less naive side. Yeah. And have the ability to come from behind having played pretty well in the first half. It's yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I love them. And I, I love yeah, the I, fact that I, I love in- the fact that sometimes when you get players that drive up standards to that kind of degree, sometimes it, it can almost go a bit too far where it's almost like you're not allowed to, to celebrate when you have good results. Like Roy Keane has turned into a bit of that as a pundit, <laughs> you know, and what I love about Casemiro and Varane is that, you know, you look at Casemiro jumping into the crowd, celebrating Rashford's goal. This is a man that has won everything there is to win in football. Same with Varane. All right, Casemiro has never won the World Cup. But other than that, you know, they have won everything there is to win. And look at the way that they are reveling in what they're, they're doing at the yeah. moment. You know, and it, it has some extra, some extra weight, some extra gravitas to it when you see the, like, those kind of successful players. And this means everything. You know, and, and I, I love the fact that this isn't a United team that is being driven by by guys that are so sort of down to business and their head is so business like all the time that nothing can be celebrated until you know you've won a league title or you've won the Champions League. Obviously, that is the goal and that has to be the standard that this team strives for. But we should enjoy these moments. We should enjoy these games. We should enjoy this time when United are playing so yeah. well. And that balance has been struck so well by those people that are kind of leading the charge for this United we, team. We both interrupted each other. You made the same point I was going to make. I love I, <laughs> I love the fact that these two Real Madrid players with four or five Champions League each have have embraced a really difficult new challenge Yeah, and clearly want to prove they, they, they've sought out something new. They could have stayed at Real Madrid and... Yes, maybe they were facing more threats to their position in the first team, but they would have carried on playing. Casemiro's exit was a, a real surprise to not just to us, but also to, to Real Madrid fans and, and his Real Madrid teammates. And him in particular just think this is a man who wants to prove himself and also is loving English football because there are great parts to every different footballing culture, but he is clearly just absolutely thriving in this particular culture where he loves the noise that that you get around the stadium. And it's worth saying, I I spoke about the improvement to the atmosphere at Old Trafford and a lot of that has come from the Red Army section on the right side of the Stretford End, lower tier. This was not a, this was not a one section thing on Saturday. That's what made it so magical. It was just the, the biggest club stadium in English football. Every single person just having the experiencing the same euphoria and giving the same noise. It was brilliant.
before we speak about the particulars, let's speak about what that does for United's league position. We we were speaking when asked um, about United being in, in a potential title race before this game. And I think our opinion was that we kind of have to wait until we see the games against City and Arsenal and Palace. But nine consecutive wins. I, I maintain that United are not in the title race. I think if we were to beat Crystal Palace and Arsenal, then we would be. That doesn't mean I expect us to win or think we're as good as City or Arsenal. I don't think we are, but uh, you can be in a title race and then drop off, which is kind of what I expect United to do now because four competitions is a lot to manage. We'll get injuries. We've got quite a fragile starting eleven in that if Casemiro was ruled out, that would be quite a considerable problem or Rashford or Bruno Fernandes as well. But to be in the conversation, to bounce back the, this this kind of arc from 6-3 in October to 2-1 in, uh, in, in mid-January is a testament to Ten Hag's management. Before we even get to whether United are in the title race, to even be asking that question it's is incredible, isn't a it? sign of just how far this season so far has exceeded our expectations. We, we thought we were you know, hanging on to the edges of a, of a top four conversation at the start of the season. And I think we both would have been happy to finish fourth. Yeah. You know, at, at this point, United being eight points off the, or what, what is, is it eight? No, it's nine points now off top of the league after Arsenal won today. You know, that is something I don't think we ever kind of expected. Like you said, if we beat Crystal Palace and Arsenal, I think you have to say United are firmly in the title race. And, and being in a title race does not mean for one minute that you think United are favourites for, for the title. But I mean, how can you not be if you if we uh, by that point would have won what eleven in a row, have just beaten the other top two in the league? United would have to be in a title race at that point. Yeah, and I think for now it is enough to say that United are are on the fringes of the title race, and a lot would have to go right, and a lot of luck would have to go away to to stay in a title race for any amount of prolonged period of time. Crucially, though, we are now five points clear of Tottenham, who are in fifth place, and that's what really matters because if we were yes, offered the exactly. chance to if United can finish in top four and win a trophy then that is the the absolute dream of what we were hoping to achieve when the season started and we as I think we mentioned last week this still might happen but I think we expected a, a prolonged run of quite difficult results and difficult performances that we're yet to see um so yeah, things are going very, very well. It's it's lovely. Right. Before we talk about some particulars of the lineup and, and tactics and the performance, uh, it's guess the player time that will squeeze in. Jack setting the clue for me this week. As a reminder, there are three clues throughout the episode. The quicker you get it, the more points you get, and you can play along. So Jack, with the first clue, please. Clue number one is having been coached by Steve McLaren as assistant manager at Manchester United, McLaren then signed me for Middlesbrough directly from United. Okay, I'm not going to risk. So I can repeat that. Having been coached by Steve McLaren when he was Manchester United assistant boss, McLaren then signed me for Middlesbrough directly from Man United. Okay, I'm not going not gonna to risk a guess. Uh, immediately, so I'll let I'll let that fester <laughs> in my brain. Do you, does anyone come? That always, that gives you some amount of information, at least on on the timeline. Is, is anyone coming to mind? Uh, in in terms of the most famous Middlesbrough United kind of people have played for both clubs. Brian Robson's first, but he obviously wasn't doesn't uh, apply to either of those clues. Gary Pallister, but he, I think he was signed for Borough by 
player manager Brian Robson and Victor Valdez more recently and <laughs> I can tell you I can tell you for sure it's not Victor Valdez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old the, the mid two thousand one that comes to mind is Jonathan Greening, because he was in the ninety nine um, Goat McLaren was 98 to 2001, I think. Um, and Jonathan Greening was in that and definitely played for Middlesbrough. So he, if I had to guess after one, it would be him, but we'll see. Okay. Let's talk. Let's, let's start with the lineup because Luke Shaw over Lissandra Martinez was a massive surprise and it, it worked very well. It's, I think the, the key conclusion from that is it's amazing that a month ago, we were desperate for Martinez to play in every game, come back from the World Cup as soon as possible. But now United can cope without him against one of, if not the best striker in the world. I mean, that's just... <laughs> well, I mean, at that, at that point, we, we were probably thinking about this all wrong because we thought that the person who would be replacing Martinez would yeah. be, you know, an actual Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's a real... Uh, it's a uh, testament again, but to Ten Hag's kind of ability to spot the potential in Shaw to play that role and to Luke Shaw yeah. to, to be able to adjust to that is, is it, it's another one of those things it, where Ten Hag has shattered expectations really. And we'll come on. To, there's a few others with this game, but Wan Bissaka well, as well. And, and again, and, and Dallo, the improvement that he's shown. There's, there's all these things as well as league position. Yeah. But yeah, go on. Was well, it? And again, you know, we talked at the start of the season that one of the big things we wanted, sort of regardless of of results, was this United team to create an identity and have a clear idea of how the whole team wanted to play, but also how each position, the demands on each position. And to be fair, I don't know if we've actually seen a clear identity come, come in quite as much as we expected just because of the need to be pragmatic after the start we had. But I think one thing you can give Ten Hag a lot of credit for is in each position on the pitch, I think there are much more defined ideas about what is expected from that role, regardless of which player is actually playing yeah. in that position. And so when you've got someone like Luke Shaw coming in, you know, how many times have we had to say over the last four or five years that United have square pegs and round holes mm-hmm. all over the pitch? And... Luke Shaw is still a little bit of a square peg in a round hole, obviously playing out of position, but at least the expectation on what he is supposed to carry out while playing at left centre-back is far, far clearer. And Ten Hag has, has un, you know, very clearly understood that Shaw is a better fit for what he wants in that role than Maguire or Lindelof. And I think that is, like you said, a credit to Ten Hag for having very clear ideas about what he demands and having the foresight to be able to pick out, sort of regardless of position, which players have the skills to be able to play in that role most effectively. Yeah, absolutely. The first half, I thought I thought one of the big themes of the first half was how United played out from the back. And I took two conclusions from that. You might be able to, to guess them. The, the positive one, in fact, I'll start with the negative and then go on to the <laughs> positive, was David De Gea, who did well at times, but only at times. And it's the same point that I remember thinking was made really blatantly obvious against Liverpool at Anfield in April where everyone was bad, but it was something I noticed. And it, and in this case, rather than being in a 4-0 defeat, United won 2-1 and it was still something I noticed in that games against big opposition is where it becomes really evident how much De Gea's distribution or lack of quality in his distribution holds United back. And I, I do want to say he has got hugely better at this. And there were several moments where he was put under pressure yeah. and his touch, rather than hoofing it straight away, he takes a touch and he do, he tries to find his man. He probably found them. I haven't checked the stats, but I would guess 
under 50% of the time, kind of 40 to 50% of the time. He has definitely got better, looks more comfortable on the ball, looks more composed. He might one day, and this is what we said, he may one day get good enough. But at the moment, it's not enough. And I think it really held United back and it could... The, the kind of two things holding United back were a kind of unfit or what looked like an unfit Martial who was pretty poor, a really good hold up play, but pretty poor otherwise and uh, a less than good goalkeeping distribution. I can tell you De Gea's stats on, on short and medium distance passes are, are good. It's 100% completion on short passes and six out of seven on medium passes, but nice. then on, on, on attempted long passes, it drops to 10 out of 25, which is a big issue for United. And obviously some of those will, will be genuine clearances, but we've talked bef- so many times before that sometimes what you need from a goalkeeper is that ability to play those sort of clipped passes especially into the fullbacks to get out of when a team is put pressing you high up the pitch. And that is, is still something that De Gea struggles with. And, and as a result, it means that United, I think the biggest thing is just that there are times and, you know, this is, we're talking about the first half here, but in the second half, this came to the fore even more. There are moments, especially in big games when United are sort of under the cosh and you win the ball back, the only choice is to go back to De Gea and the only option that he has or that he feels that he has is to play it long and yeah. we inevitably lose it. And that momentum never gets broken. What you would want in that situation is a goalkeeper who was able to take a little bit more time, find the pass and just give United some control and some respite from that momentum that's building up. Yeah. Those stats are, uh, because I think the long passes one is quite difficult because a lot of goalkeepers long passes, I was imagining. Yeah. The medium six out of seven is, is probably better than I thought, but doesn't show that. So for example, and, and this comes on to my next point, there was a, a brilliant move started with Terrell Malassia uh, about 25 minutes in where he controlled a bad De Gea pass, but that would go down as a completed pass. So it doesn't quite show them, but you're yeah, right. I know, I know the, move, the move you're talking it about. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, that's the other point is that there were times in that first half where United played out from the back against a really good City team, one of the best in the world, and got through them and did it really well. Malassia controls a bad pass and then there's a lovely bit of play out and, and the move after is great. Uh, I can't actually remember what the it did create a chance in the end, but I can't remember which one. Did it? Did it? End, was it? I think it might have ended up leading to Ericsson's ball through to Rashford. Did it not? When Rashford I, then ran it on a bit too far, was that that? One? I think it. I think it might well have been. Yeah, um, but yeah, I thought that was just a good sign. And you're right. I think we, we haven't seen as much identity from Ten Hag's United as we might have expected, and I think that's a direct result of the the two terrible games at the start of the season yeah. and he's been very pragmatic there is, he has kept some of his principles uh, very very strict but more it's more been kind of character principles that he's instilled at United rather than on the pitch but they obviously have we are seeing his ideas and this is one of the key ones that, that seems to be improving every week and to do that under pressure from City is is it is a sign that, that things are progressing well and I think that Malassi had a, a brilliant game. He was rubbish in the October game. This was a, a big performance for him that showed what he can do at United. And Aaron Wambasaka proved us all wrong because he had some decent games recently with Dallow out injured, but I think everyone would have feared when Dallow was ruled out of this game. And Wambasaka's weaknesses are still there. And these these kind of games against big opposition where United have less of the ball is obviously going to suit him more. But even in those games last season, it, it was just really poor. And with this performance, he's reminded us that he can be a quality right back, not necessarily United, but he can be a quality right back. And it's massive for 
for United because whether he stays or goes either he's a useful option now or his transfer value has just risen significantly from what was before a really really low point because he'd been doing so poorly yeah I thought I thought Wan-Bissaka was was really good and and a big surprise in the game honestly it obviously I I was worried as you mentioned when Dallow got injured because that is one of the areas where you feel like United not only is the drop-off in quality maybe quite high between Dallow and and Wan-Bissaka but as we were just mentioning before the, the change in play style was also so big. You know, Dallow and Wan-Bissaka's weaknesses are almost completely opposed. Wan-Bissaka, very good one-on-one defensively, not great positionally, has clear limitations going forward. You know, Dallow's real strength is being able to progress from the back. His one-on-one defending maybe isn't so strong, but positionally he's quite good. That is, it's difficult to, to sort of deal with that big change. But I thought Wan-Bissaka came in and did really well on the ball. There were some really nice moments. One in particular in the second half where... United were in a bit of a scrappy situation. There'd been a few bad touches and we were in danger of giving City a really good opportunity in transition to go forward. And Wan-Bissaka gets past two or three players. I think he ends up playing it into Ericsson in, who then goes, through, goes past the player himself. You know, that it was, it was surprising to see Wan-Bissaka contribute so much. And I remember last season in particular, there were so many occasions and, and the season before, to be fair, but there were so many occasions in big games where it felt like United just could not build up down our right-hand mm. side at all. Because every time the ball would be cycled over there, even when we weren't under a huge amount of pressure, we just could not get anything going because the, it would stall once you got to the right-back area. And I think Wan-Bissaka did really, really well in helping us to keep the ball on that side. It wasn't a helped. massive limitation. Yeah, Fernandez helped massively, as as do players like Casemiro and Eriksen, because they like when we say we, we were bad at progressing down the right-hand side... And that actually wasn't necessarily that Wan-Bissaka was giving the ball away on all those occasions. It was often just that he would put players under pressure because his touch was bad. He'd, he'd give yeah. the player that he was passing to not a great option. But when you've got players like Casemiro and Eriksen, who are much better and more comfortable playing under pressure, it it reduces the impact of some of that weakness on Wan-Bissaka himself. Yeah. Second half, there was... I, I want to talk quickly, just quickly go before on. we go off, from, off of the first half. I also quickly want to touch on how United played out of possession as well, because... It was very different to, I think, what we expected. You know, we talked about Fred coming in in the last week's episode, but I think we expected that still to be in a pivot with Bruno still at number 10. Obviously, you know, I didn't go that route. We we played Fred alongside Casemiro with Ericsson, then pushed further forward, Bruno out wide. And the way that United approached the game, I thought was really interesting because we almost went out of possession in something of like a 4-2-4 kind of system. But the four weren't they weren't playing as four forwards. They were almost four players playing in sort of that number 10 winger kind of line. You know, you had Ericsson and Martial who would both drop in to try and stop City from playing through the middle. You have Rashford and Fernandes would always also tuck in. But what really impressed me was A, through Ericsson in particular and a little bit of Martial, we were able to really stop City building up through Rodri, who I think was the big focus. And the weakness from that system was that because we stayed quite narrow, the first like five minutes, you could see Cancelo had three or four times where he really carried the ball well and got City moving forward down their left-hand side. But once we got into the game, Fernandes and Rashford put in such a shift with their recovery runs. As soon as the ball got shifted out wide, they did so well to cover that space. In the second half, that, that dropped off, which we'll come to in a second. But it was very different to what I expected from United. And really the only way that City were able to, to move move the ball effectively through the middle of the pitch was when Bernardo Silva would drop deep and start yeah. to orchestrate from there. Because when he didn't do that, Ericsson and Martial did a really good job of, of stopping those balls into Rodri and, and stopped City from being able to kind of use that as the base of their attacks. You sort of put it on 
Ake and Akanji, who are quite clearly nowhere near as talented as Rodri are doing. That. And that was the key difference after half time in that Martial went off, that system was slightly changed, but also United might have been slightly, slightly tired, didn't start quick enough. Rodri got on the ball a lot more. Kyle Walker came inside and that helped give City more numbers in midfields. I think Ten Hag did the right thing. And De Bruyne would drift wider as a result of Walker coming inside. Yeah, I think Ten Hag, and that, I think that was that kind of weakness in the second half itself showed that Ten Hag was right in the first half with the starting 11 to to pack the midfield. Uh, you spoke about Ericsson, but Fred was was fantastic. Uh, Casemiro was obviously brilliant, yeah. as as he always is. Um, and yeah, Roger got on the ball more, Walker came inside. United have done really well to not allow that in the first half. We were much poorer after the break. And we also lacked that kind of the, uh, the person to hold the ball up because Martial I think was really poor on the ball most of sorry Martial was really poor in general sometimes on the ball he held it up really well and started attacks yeah, uh, yeah. and we missed that in generally looked really leggy and just I don't I can't imagine he was fit he came off at half time there was a moment where he was in a in a race with I think with Ake but it could have been a Kanji to get the ball yeah 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 he just looked he just looked like he was running through treacle. Um, just didn't look his his normal self. We've seen performances like that from in the past, but he's he's quite a good big game player. Uh, but I I can't imagine he was fit. But so we missed that, and it it went on for a little too long, didn't it? Yeah, it went on for far too long, to be honest. It so obviously Anthony came well, on about a minute too long actually because well, yeah. it, it ended with City's goal. Yeah, Anthony obviously came on, which was a bit of a shock because. I, I thought Garnacho would be the one to bring on in that situation and push Rashford up front. Uh, Ten Hag obviously went a different way and I, and I think he probably put Anthony on there because Anthony generally is very good out of possession and wanted to continue in a sort of similar vein. I think the issue though was that I, whether this was intentional or not, Anthony and Fernandez would end up dovetailing quite a lot and they, they sort of interchange their position very frequently. And it just felt like United never f- properly adjusted to that change. Now, as I said, whether that was instructed for them to interchange like that or whether that was just both of them kind of refer- reverting to what their natural positions are, I don't know. But th- we we never figured out how to play with Anthony in that forward role. His positional discipline wasn't good enough. Neither was Bruno Fernandez's. As you mentioned, City changed some things as well. Walker came inside. De Bruyne was pulling out into wide areas a lot more. And you, you notice that with, with City's goal, it, it sort of comes from... De Bruyne obviously gets the ball in a more central area, but Fred had been dragged out to the left-back role. And so he's then not there to track De Bruyne's run. Casemiro was a little bit late reacting to it. Malasio is distracted by Walker, who has pushed sort of one man inside from Fred, who was in the most wide position, onto Malasio, who's inside slightly. Yeah, City, City made some good adjustments and United just didn't react to it. I was really frustrated when that goal went in. I, goals like that frustrate me more than anything else because you could just see it coming. For 10 minutes before that goal went in, you could feel the tide of the game turning and it was like United just had no ideas to, of how to stop it. Part of that comes to De Gea. Like I mentioned, every time we won it back, it was give, being given straight back to City, but we also didn't have any composure on the ball. And, you know, goals happen. They, they happen from, you know, mistakes. They happen from pieces of brilliance all the time. You can sort of accept that. But it reminded me a lot of the goal we conceded against Arsenal where that, it was very obviously coming for five or 10 minutes before and you just fail to adjust. And I, I think... You know, United obviously it's so hard to stop those in a second. So it, it hard. is hard, and it's yeah. it's just so difficult to stop when that momentum's built. Yeah, and it's, especially in this scenario, we've already made a sub. Like you, you don't want to make a sub again to change what you've just changed ten minutes after you brought on because you haven't given it any chance to actually, you know, pay off. But it is hard to to 
snuff out that momentum. And I guess as players, you know, I've been in this situation as well where if you're not conceding, you sort of feel like you can hang on. And it's hard to read, I guess, how that momentum is shifting so much as players. It's easier when you're watching the game because you can sort of see how that the sort of the game flow is, is changing. Yeah. After the goal, we did start playing better. And that's, that's kind of the half of the point is it? it's so often the way that you kind of need, you need to concede to then stop that, that kind of momentum that the opposition's built and, and get back into, into controlling the game a bit. The, uh, the, the first goal was an interesting decision. One interpretation of the rules, isn't it? I, I still can't really see how it was allowed to happen. Yeah, I've got to say, I, I, I don't think that goal should have been allowed to stand. No. I, I think how you can watch that and think Rashford isn't interfering with play I think- is is beyond me. I, I, I understand the argument that I don't think Akanji or Walker would have got there before Fernandez, even if Rashford wasn't there. I do get that yeah, argument agreed. because Fernandez had a lot of momentum because he was coming. He was already sprinting by the time he started that run, and Akanji and Walker were coming from much more standing starts. But the, the, the one that I think was really affected was Edison because exactly, that ball yeah. comes to Fernandez in, on the edge of the D or on, on the edge of the box. There's, there's no way Edison doesn't come out and just pick that up without Rashford's presence there. So yeah, yeah I definitely was shocked it was allowed. I was shocked it was given by the referee and the assistant on the field. And then I was shocked that it wasn't overturned by VAR as well. Yeah. I don't think there's much more we can say than that. It, it, what, what I can say is it allowed for the atmosphere and it, it felt it made it feel because it was ruled out initially and then Fernandez complained and and after a few seconds he spoke to the linesman or shouted at the linesman and then turned to Strickland and it kind of got the crowd going it, I, I feel like that then helped after the goal was given to really make it feel like a uh, kind of this kind of uncontrollable force and so it wasn't that surprising when another goal went in three minutes later And this one is really, really good. The play out from the back, uh, I think it begins with, is it Fred it starts with? Um, yeah, I think so. Who, who finds a ball to to Rashford and Rashford doesn't like completely win the ball or bring it down, but has enough strength to, even when he's not completely winning it, to to keep it in United's possession. He does well. Then the right ball at the right time is played to Garnacho and he fluffs the first cross, uh, the turn and the second is so good and I think it's probably been because of the whole thing and Rashford and, and the controversy over the first goal and and the significance of the win it's probably been a little bit understated that United's provider of the second goal is an 18 yeah. year old it's the youngest player to ever ever make an assist in a Manchester derby it's it, it's massive I don't think it's been stated much it, it's he, he came on this is a player we've got plenty of confidence in but he came onto kind of the biggest stage yet and performed. Yeah, the, the, the goal the really highlighted a few things to me. One, it's like you mentioned, the play starts with the, the ball kind of breaks loose. Fred wins it back. He gets popped up to Rashford, who then nudges it back to Fred. And then Fred moves it on to Bruno Fernandes, who then plays it out to Garnacho. Firstly, it highlighted to me the importance of having that focal point up front. You know, that isn't really Rashford's strength as a striker, but we had it a few times when Martial was up front in the first half. And when Anthony played up there we just didn't have that focal point to win those kind of loose balls to, to firstly stop City being able to just you know create wave after wave of attack but also to create those kind of opportunities for us on the counter we didn't have those really at all in the second half up to that point second like you, you mentioned Garnacho 
it, it wasn't just the goal either. There was a, so many occasions when he his movement is so good. He's so intelligent at finding space. And he, to be honest, United went quite risky and we were sort of able to do that because of the, the state of the game at that point being behind. Garnacho didn't really track back anywhere near as much as Rashford had done. There was a clear sort of plan from United to keep Garnacho ahead of the ball to capitalise on the fact that Walker was pushing up and, and in, inside quite a lot that Garnacho would have that space to, to run into. The first time he had the opportunity, I've got to say, for the first time maybe that I've watched Garnacho, he looked like a kid when he got beaten <laughs> for pace by, was it Akanji? And then wasn't able to to get past him and ended up, I think, fouling Akanji in the corner. But then the, the second time he gets it, he does so he does so so well with it. And I think what I like about Garnacho and this is like we've, we mentioned this with Anthony when he first came in, that it's yeah. just conviction with everything that he does. And and again, like the the fact that he, he gets that ball in that position, there's no amount of, of hesitation. All he wants to do is get that ball in the box and put it into a good area and trust that Rashford would, would be there. It's a s- simple turn. It's not yeah. particularly that skillful, but it's, it's done so well and executed properly. Yeah, but the, the example of Anthony is, is a key one because how do you maintain that? is the biggest challenge for any footballer. Yeah. And I think the example of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, for the vast majority of his career kind of warps expectations of players to have that consistency. And we've seen with Rashford and Anthony and Martial and every other forward that United have had for the last decade and the many decades before that, it's so difficult to find, to always find that conviction in what you're doing. How long can he keep riding this wave? I don't know. I hope for a very long time. And Because we, we've mentioned the, the kind of slight concerns with him before that he needs to keep himself grounded. But these recent performances and the fact he produces in high pressure, big moments, it, it's hard not to think that he was just a highly talented kid, really, really talented, riding this wave of, of confidence, opportunity in the same way that Marcus Rashford did six years ago. He's, he's taking every chance that he gets and, and coping with the big stage. And he looks, he can look like a kid at times, but in, in what he does, he looks like a top kind of very early twenties winger. He's a few years yeah. ahead and he's still only 18. And, and when you see Rashford scoring in the derby in 2023 and he broke through, in 2016 February so almost seven years ago and you remember how scrawny that little Wivenshaw kid <laughs> was and you think you mentioned Garnacho's pace uh, and kind of getting beaten for pace by by Nathan Ake and you think it, it, we can't picture it now but imagine a bulked up powerful Alejandro Garnacho if he can keep showing this kind of really good decision making and conviction and and yeah. quality on the ball and you think wow that'll be uh, like I just look forward to that and hope it can happen well, and the the real challenge I think it's it's kind of easy to show conviction when you've got confidence yeah you know we've seen plenty of United players show great conviction when they're playing well but the, the real challenge is to maintain that conviction even when things maybe haven't been going your way whether that's after a, you know, at the end of the game, after a bad 70, 80 minutes, or whether it's in a game when after you haven't had a good performance in the last month, you know, that is really the big thing for Garnacho and everyone else. To, can, can you maintain that conviction, that belief in what you're trying to do, even when recent history maybe has been sort of going against you? We've yet to see that with Garnacho because he's done so well ever since he's come in. He hasn't yeah. really had to face a time when he hasn't been confident. But Thank God you know, he does. Is, he has as well because... I mean, we say he's taken his opportunity, but if he hadn't, United would be in a bit of trouble in, in terms of depth in that forward line. Oh, massively. massively. On, on the subjects of academy graduates, and we, 
we need to wrap up because we've spoken for a very long time and there's still plenty to go. The day only got better, didn't it? 12.30, United winning the Manchester derby. Three o'clock, Liverpool wins <laughs> 2 nil to Brighton and Danny Welbeck scores uh, just a brilliant goal and does Marcus Rashford's celebration. What a time to be alive. Yeah, what a day for the United Academy, just kind of storming the league. I mean, I always like seeing Welbeck do well. He's a very likeable yeah. player. Uh, you know, it wasn't nice seeing him at Arsenal because it's... Yeah. It was hard to like what when he did well, but now that he's at a sort of not a direct rival of United, it's nice to see Welbeck come through and make. You know, he's always been a player that you feel like there is always more to to come and more to give, and it sort of hasn't always worked out with a lot of injuries in his career. But he is a player that I enjoy seeing do well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to have to wrap up on the City game. Uh, we're going to go into our Patreon Q&A in a second. We've got uh, questions on De Gea, what kind of goalkeeper we should sign, on Fred, because we haven't really spoken about him now, on Lissandra Martinez and on squad depth from Josh, Ethan and Corey. If you want to listen to the Patreon Q&A, which will be now, it used to be at the end of our shows every week. It will now be in the middle of our shows uh, every week. You can do so. Uh, you can sign up to Patreon for as little as... Uh, how much is it? I think £1.50 a month is the smallest. You can you can pay and get that every week and you get ad-free episodes and early release as well. For information on how to do that, go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pods. That's P-O-D at the end there. But before we do, the second guess a player clue, please, Jack. All right, this is a long one. Ready? <laughs> okay. So I have a slightly peculiar history of play, of being part of teams in cup finals, but not playing much. I was an unused substitute in the 99 Champions League final. I was not part of the Middlesbrough squad in the final of the League Cup in 2004. And I came on with two minutes left in extra time of the 2010 Europa League final while on loan at Fulham. Okay. I've... So I can repeat that because that was a long one. I can, I can at least repeat the final. So I was an unused substitute in the 99 Champions League final. I was not part of the Middlesbrough squad in the League Cup final in 2004. And I came on in the 118th minute, which is two minutes left in extra time of the 2010 Europa League final while on loan at Fulham. All right. I think I've got it, but I'm going to wait to give my answer until the third and final clue so that any listeners who have yet to get it, although I might have given it away earlier, um, can, <laughs> can continue uh, continue guessing and might be helped by that third and final clue. But <laughs> yeah, I think I have it. And we'll go into... Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's go to our Patreon Q&A. Okay, back from the Patreon Q&A. Well, there's some really interesting discussions on on squad depth and whether that, that win over City is the biggest one, the biggest league victory that we've had in however many years, say the last five or six years. Uh, an interesting chat. And on Fred and De Gea and uh, Lissandra Martinez as well. Let's, uh, let's give you a roundup of the youth loan and women's news, starting with the biggest youth news of the last week, the FA Youth Cup. Last time we spoke to you was just an hour before the under-18s fourth round match away at Stoke City. It ended in a really disappointing 1-0 defeat for uh, United FA Youth Cup holders. Stoke were well-organised, offered little though. Uh, their goal came with a really heavily defective free kick. They did manage the game well late on, but United just didn't do enough on the night, really. Maxi Oladeli in midfield stood out with with really good ball control, showed some strength and, and drive. He's a, a, a player who's developing really well this season. Dan Gore, the captain, was uh, his tenacious little self with some good moments. James Nolan at right back made some really good attacking contributions. Others failed to impress and, and will be taking this as motivation to improve. United did dominate after Stokes' goal and I think were the better side 
but just needed to do more. It wasn't enough. It'll be a really tough one to take for the team, especially because of the nature of the goal. Uh, and there was a, a fairly major scrap between the teams after the full-time whistle, which maybe showed how tough it was to take with the majority of the squad getting involved in that. They, they did play a few days later in the league, scored two late goals. Uh, the final one in the 89th minute and that was a 3-2 win over Blackburn to come from behind. Jace Fitzgerald, Dan Gore and Jack Kington scored the three goals. A Joe Hugel double saw United's under-21s come from behind to beat Liverpool in Premier League 2. A good way to return to league action after the winter break. Only the team's third win after the first half of the season saw too many draws and a couple of heavy defeats as well. Actually, that's not their first uh, game back from the winter break, their second, but still very good. Uh, Jack, how have the Lonies been doing over the weekend? Any standouts? Well, results-wise, it was a pretty disappointing weekend, unfortunately, for United's Lonies. Alvaro Fernandez played 70 minutes for Preston, which is good for him, but in somewhat bizarre and, and not great circumstances. He came on after 30 minutes after being named on the bench with Preston already 3-0 down to the Canaries. Wow. He, he played okay for the remaining 70 minutes. Preston only lost by a, a further one goal. It ended 4-0 to Norwich. But yeah, you know, a, a sort of strange outing for Fernandes, a strange situation to come into. And there will hopefully be, be better, more, more fruitful scenarios where he can uh, feature for Preston soon. It was also more disappointment for, for Ahmad Diallo as well. He was part of Sunderland's team. He played 83 minutes uh, after starting for Sunderland against Swansea, but they, are, they fell to a 3-1 defeat. Ahmed started brightly and after just 15 minutes had a big penalty claim that was waved away by the referee. Swansea then immediately started to break up the other end and in the course of that attack, Luke Nyan was sent off for Sunderland after a bad tackle in midfield. That kind of obviously killed a lot of Sunderland's chances in the game. They responded well. Ahmed still had some bright spots, but wasn't able to, to conjure any magic for Sunderland and they eventually went down 3-1 to Swansea. So, Ethan Laird played all 90 minutes. Oh, God, do you have a question about Ahmed? No, I was just going to say it's first very disappointing for Sunderland and because they, they kind of got quite close to the playoff spots they're still not far off are they in a couple of couple of points I think yeah but, I mean if anyone uh, um, if anyone wants yeah. a, a oh, bit of a laugh is this, is this Tony Mowbray and the Mentos wait no what's that I haven't heard about that one it's uh, Tony Mowbray Sunderland manager is eating a well a, a kind of sweet in um before the press conference starts and those interactions between managers and journalists often are, are very funny before the cameras are properly rolling and he's chewing on these sweets. I think they're mentos now, but he's asking if anyone knows what the what the name of those sweets were when he was younger and he gives it to uh, another member of staff and says, do you know what they're called? And, and he doesn't know. The journalists try them and they don't know and, and then he just sits there chewing very loudly into the microphone and then goes... You know, should we start then, please? <laughs> and, uh, and, and the press conference begins. What was the What was the thing you you were saying? I was going to say this is, this is honestly much less interesting. I hadn't I hadn't seen that. I'm going to find that after we finish recording. Um, no, I was going to say if anyone wants a bit of a laugh, just look at the the championship table. Oh yeah, because throughout throughout this season, it has been ridiculous how tightly packed it is. You've got Sheffield United and Burnley that are kind of running away with things at the top, but then everything from third down to the edge of the relegation zone has been so tightly packed. Most of the season, there's only been around like 10, 10 to 12 points separating third down to 20th on the edge of the relegation zone. It's currently up to 13 points. You've got Watford on 43 in third and Stoke in 20th on 30 points. And if you go to the edge of the playoffs, like you mentioned Sunderland were close to the edge. They're 10th at the moment. They're four points, sorry, three points off of sixth. But then they're only eight points off the relegation zone. Yeah. <laughs> 
Mad. Middlesbrough doing very well up to fourth this weekend. No lone ease there, but Michael Carrick manager. Um, yeah. I live with a Middlesbrough fan. I lived with a Sunderland fan a couple of years ago. So I get updates on, on <laughs> Ahmad and Sunderland and Michael Carrick and Middlesbrough very regularly. Um, but yeah, are, good- they had a really bad cup defeat, but they're buzzing with Carrick as manager. He's doing a really good job. Another good little nugget from the championship is that Blackburn are currently fifth on 42 points, having not drawn a game all season. Wow. They've won 14 games and lost 13, zero draws. That's mad, yeah. yeah. And then the, the other lonely news this week from United is Ethan Laird played all 90 minutes, also in the championship for QPR, as they drew 2-2 with Reading. That was the most positive result of any of the these United lonies this, this week. QPR were 2-0 down at half-time and they managed to make a comeback. Tyler Roberts scored both goals for QPR and Ethan Lair was actually involved in the build-up to the equaliser. He had a shot that was saved by the goalkeeper and the rebound ended up falling to Tyler Roberts as he equalised in the 80th minute. And then Hannibal Medjbury also, he played only 15 minutes for Birmingham as they lost 4-2 to Bristol City. So not the best week for United's lone Some good minutes, but some, some pretty poor results all around. Yep. Well, in good news, if you thought the weekend couldn't get any better for the, the players at the club, United women returned from their winter break with a 6-0 win over Liverpool 6. Mark Skinner's side were very clinical. They went in 3-0 up at half-time, two own Batier assists, helping Lucia Garcia, Alessia Russo and Hayley Ladd to score. Then an own goal after the 60-minute mark kept things going before Martha Thomas scored. Two minutes after coming on as a substitute, assisted by Ella Toon, getting her th- second assist of the game. Rachel Williams, another sub, made it six. It's a statement victory, but more than that, those six, Liverpool were really poor. United were good, but Liverpool were really poor. Uh, but more than just a really good victory. Those six goals have taken United above Arsenal on goal difference in the Women's Super League. United are now second, trailing Chelsea by three points, but with a game in hand. They play against Reading next weekend to have just seven points from 11 games so far, so they should keep momentum going in that. Right, before we very quickly talk about Crystal Palace, we've been talking for a long time, but I feel like everyone will... Uh, won't mind that too much given how buzzing everyone is after the win against City uh, final guess the player clue please Jack alright so you thought you had the answer do you want to tell me who you think it is before I read the clue or do you want to let the listeners have uh, see the final I'll let the listeners right. I'll tell you what why don't you yeah. you text me who you think the answer is and I'll read it out so we can see whether <laughs> yeah, you got it okay. up to I'm sure you did I think you know who it is so the final clue while Harry does that is I joined United in 1997 from York City and I made 27 appearances, but I am most well-known for my time at West Brom in the mid-2000s, as well as my iconic long black hair. Okay, do you want my, do you want my guess? So I've always got you texting your guess was Jonathan Greening, which is absolutely correct. You, you had him in your mind after the first one, and that is absolutely correct. I should, should have been brave at the start, but yeah. <laughs> it's the, it was the coach by Steve McLaren, as in because I knew it was the treble or around the treble yeah. season. Um, that, that, helps yeah, that, really narrow, that really narrows it down weirdly he also then went um, and reunited with Steve McLaren again at Nottingham Forest when he left West Brom which I didn't no, know I didn't know that yeah yeah interesting good uh, good niche player to be guessing yeah always, always one of those sort of similar to like Robbie Savage as a player like, but with you and I sort of saw like the back end of their careers as we were, were growing up and sort of these players that like you didn't really know until you sort of dived into the history of United that they were ever part of the, of the United yeah, system. Yeah, I remember, I remember my shock at discovering Robbie Savage was in a member of the class of 92 when yeah. I was younger. Thinking, wow, what? Because <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I, I knew of him a lot, a lot longer before I knew that. I just knew of him as kind of this terrible tackling, long-haired <laughs> Premier League midfielder um, and then found that out, yeah. 
Palace, Wednesday. United have won nine consecutive matches in all competitions. It's our longest run since 2016-17 under Mourinho. Uh, but we haven't won 10 in a row since the days of Sir Alex Ferguson. Do you think we will break into that uh, 10 on Wednesday? I, I'm nervous. Are you? Because I've got, I feel like if you could pick any sort of banana skin type of game to, to get Nick's a win streak like this, it would be a sort of game on its own on a Wednesday. There's only one other game on the, what day is it? Tuesday we play? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday. Away at Palace under the lights. That feels like the kind of game that you could slip up in. Yes, but United have won the last nine games. Palace have lost the last three. That 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 gives me confidence, but also makes it in even more. It, it, that's kind of a classic stat people would give at the start of the, before a banana skin game happens. Yeah, um, yeah Palace have been really poor recently. Um, really poor and need reinforcements in the transfer window. Patriar is not really under pressure. Palace's fans are uh, very frustrated, but more so at the board uh, in, in familiar sounding uh, scenario, more so at the board for the, the failure to recruit properly uh, than the manager. So Vieira was doing a really good job. He has made some mistakes recently, but um, yeah, it's not great at Palace at the moment. We really should be winning. I'm going to be confident we're, we're doing really well. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of game where I think Casemiro is going to be really key because uh, like like you said, the, the squad is is having issues, but in, in yeah. Zaha, Olise and Eze, you've got some serious talent in that Palace front line and, and I think could cause us real issues going f- on, on the counter-attack. All three brilliant ball carriers. It feels like the kind of game where United are going to have a lot of the ball. It's going to be about how well we can break Palace down, which I'm more confident that we can do than I have been most of the time in, for the rest of the season and in recent years. But I think it's going to be a lot about how well we can make sure that we don't give yeah, Palace I'd expect a, a bit of rotation as well, even if that's Martinez coming back in, which is something yeah. we spoke about in the Patreon Q&A. Uh, the, the fact we consider that slight rotation now is is wonderful. Um, but Rashford is, is a difficult one because you're not just managing kind of this week's fitness, you're managing the whole season. And people like Rashford and Casemiro and Fernandez missed a game recently, so he's he's had a bit of rest. But all of those p- people need that rest over the season, so we'll just have to see. Um, it, it feels like if United are going to win, it could well be one where Ten Hag rests players before, then brings someone like Rashford off the bench at sixty minutes, and we go on to win it with a a goal late on. I'd be very happy with that. It's a difficult place to go. I, I, I'm going to it. I'm expecting. I feel like. My my picture of Sellers Park is always dark and foggy every time. And that seems to be, <laughs> be the way that United play there. We went last season, it was the final day of the year and uh, United were doing terribly, but it was a nice sunny day. But in my head, it's always dark and foggy and a difficult place to go. I was just about to say, legend has it, there's never been a daytime game at Sellers Park. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, feel, it feels like that kind of thing, doesn't it? Uh, the game against City was the first daytime game since, I think, October. I can't remember exactly when, but early to mid-October. It was the first wow. time I've watched United play in, that's, I've watched United play, it's a home game because I'm pretty sure Wolves on New Year's Eve was in, was in daylight. Yeah, it was, it was 12.30 kickoff, but first home game, not under dark skies and floodlights, although actually the sky was dark and there were floodlights on, but you know what I mean? It's, it's such a nice feeling coming out of the ground at 2.30, 3 o'clock and just being able to just enjoy it. And yeah, it's different when you've lost, but God, it was a very, very good Saturday. And um, yeah, yeah, we should, uh, we should wrap the up. First, the first derby United have won in front of fans since the last week before the first COVID lockdown as well. 
which I didn't realise until during the game. I was talking, on the way out, I was talking about that game, just thinking, wow, that's one of my, one of the great, great days. And this was absolutely one of the great, great days. A prediction for Palace before we go? Uh, 1-0 United. Love it. I'm going 3-0. Oh, brilliant. To United. Lovely. I think it'll be a stressful 1-0 and then it'll be like Charlton, two late goals, wrap it up. That'd be nice. I'd take that. Uh, Where can people find you on Twitter? At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. You can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself where you can find information about how to sign up to become a patron and get that bonus Q&A in the middle of the show and ad-free early release episodes at UTD Weekly Pod, P-O-D, at the end there. Thank you for listening to this accidentally bumper episode in which we've reveled in just the most brilliant of feelings. (laughs) The most brilliant of feelings. And have a great week. Goodbye. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.